0: and various studies throughout the week. Please come and join us next time you are in Oklahoma City. We would love to have you. And now, we hope you enjoyed today's message.
1: As Kevin alluded to in the announcements, we are in the 10 days of awe at this point. Those are the, that's the time frame between Yom Teruah, commonly called, or at least I heard growing up, Rosh Hashanah, and then also Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. After that, uh, five days after Yom Kippur, on the 15th day of the Hebrew, seventh Hebrew calendar month of Tishri, we begin Sukkot, which is Hechag, it's the so hopefully you'll be able to connect with this. We had a wonderful Yom Teruah service and a Tashlik service over at the park. Uh, turned out well. I was particularly thankful for a breeze that, there, you know, it was warm, but there was a nice breeze there, particularly uh, thankful for that. It's amazing. How many you are appreciative for some of the little things in life? <laughs> All right. I know Shelly is. I am too, so... But appreciative for uh, some of the little things in life. But what I want to share with you today is really not a little thing in life. It's actually quite important. Because this Shabbat, and it's standard around the Jewish world, this Shabbat is called Shabbat Shuvah. And when we think about Shabbat, we're familiar with that word. Shabbat means Sabbath. It's translated Sabbath. Um, In the English language, it has to do with arrest, it has to do with, uh, you know, ceasing from doing your normal labors, as the scripture tells us. But that second word, Shuvah, Shabbat Shuvah, uh, is translated, as a Sabbath of turning, and it's linked to the root word for repentance, it's linked to the root word for returning. Turning, returning, repentance, all linked, all has the same Hebrew language root, so Shabbat Shiva is this one. Every year, the Shabbat between Yom Tera, Rosh Hashanah, and Yom Kippur is called Shabbat Shiva. And in, in referencing this and resourcing this and studying this and, and uh, looking more at this, I found out that this is quite uniform around the Jewish world. It's not something that just American Jews do. It's not just something that Israeli Jews do. It's the Jewish world, and this is Shabbat Shuvah. It's pretty standard. And whether you're Ashkenazi or Sephardic or Mizrahi, uh, Ethiopian, whatever your background might be, if you were raised Jewish or are familiar with the Jewish world, then Shabbat Shuvah is something that comes up every year. And I'm so thankful that we're in a Messianic synagogue this Shabbat morning, that we can discuss, um, we've already had a wonderful time of liturgy, discuss some of the really important things in life. And I know for some uh, that means, and I'm I, by no means I'm putting anyone down, but sometimes the really important thing is who won the football game. <laughs> The really important thing is uh, what my favorite team is doing, uh, that type of thing. The really important thing is how, how good do I look today or how nice is my hair or how, how, how pretty is my dress or how great is my suit. Are those really the important things in life, though? The answer is a resounding no. And Shabbat Shuvah, this Sabbath of turning, the Sabbath of returning, the Sabbath of Teshuvah, repentance, does connect with the really important things of life. This name Shabbat Shuvah comes because it's it, this is called Shabbat Shuvah because throughout the Jewish world, whether Mizrachim, Sephardim, Ashkenazim, throughout the Jewish world. The Haftorah reading, the reading from the prophets, is standard for this Shabbat. Now, some of you are familiar with this, you realize that doesn't always happen in the Jewish world. But this is the standard reading across the Jewish world. It's from the book of Hosea, uh, either chapter 14, verse 2, or chapter 14, verse 1, depending on your translation, where it says, Shuvah Yisrael ad. Adonai Elohecha. That's how it starts. Shuvah Israel, Ad Adonai Elohecha. Translated means return. The Hebrew word there, the first Hebrew word in the Haftorah, reading across the Jewish world is the, is the word Shuvah. Lashuv, Shuvah. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Hence, The Haftor portion is where we get the name for this Shabbat, Shabbat Shuvah. It's a bit unique. But that's not the only similarity for this particular Shabbat that we find in the Jewish world and among Jewish communities scattered, whether in Israel or New York or L.A. or Buenos Aires or wherever. There are other similarities. For example, Across the Jewish world at this time, in this Shabbat, during these ten days of all, there are three basic themes. They are repentance, prayer, and tzedakah, or generosity, or giving. These are the three basic themes. Yeah, universally, in the Jewish world, these are the three themes for this particular Shabbat. In some of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish communities, the rabbi rabbi may not speak only once or twice in a year. The rest of the devotion comes through liturgy and those type of things, but the rabbi will speak on Shabbat Shuvah and also the Sabbath of uh, Pesach. And he'll speak on these three themes. Whether it's Mizrahi, Ashkenazi, Sephardic, it'll speak on these three themes repentance, prayer, and I just say giving. Those three themes. And this idea is rooted in the scripture, it's taken from the scripture, from the Torah. So as the false feast neared in ancient Israel, if you can just project back in your mind, think about this, what it must have been like when the temple, the Beta HaMikdash, was in existence in Jerusalem. The temple's in existence, and there you are. You're scattered in some Jewish village up in uh, the Galilee, in the Galilee, or in the Shvela along the coastal plain, you're in, in the community, and, and these holy days come. In particular, this one, which is Sukkot, is on the horizon. You have Yom tu uh the Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, the blowing of the shofar. You have Yom HaKippurim, or Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then you have five days after that, on the 15th of Tishri, you have Sukkot, and that is quite a celebration. So back in ancient Israel, when the temple was in existence, the families would prepare themselves to participate in going up to Jerusalem and going to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple, to celebrate these feasts. Why did they do that? (laughs) It's very simple. It's the same thing that probably motivates you in much of the things you do in your life. They did it because God said to do it. Those three pilgrimage feasts were the pilgrimage feasts that the Lord had ordained. It wasn't some rabbi in a community. It wasn't dad had said you have to do it. It was the heavenly father that said there. We find this uh, in, in Psalm 122, verses 1 and 2. We read this description. It says, I rejoiced when they said to me, let us go unto the house of the Lord and the very next verse says, Our feet are standing within your gates, O Yerushalayim. Notice how it starts. It says, I rejoiced. But remember, going up to Jerusalem 2,000 or more years ago to commemorate and to follow the word of the Lord and, and present yourself on the, at least the three great feasts, the Shosh Regalim, the three pilgrimage feasts, that was no easy task. And just think about your own situation. How many of you have gone on a family trip with some children, if you have raised your hand? (laughs) I have mine up. See how quick mine went up? (laughs) Now, if you're going on an extended trip, you have to do some planning, especially if you have children. Frankly, it's a little easier for us now in this 21st century than it was for them back in the 1st century. Or prior. Mode of transportation is different. Right now, we could hop in the van if we happen to be blessed with the van. You know, put the children in, schlep all the stuff we need, put it in the back, and off we go. We have GPS. We can get the fastest route. Might even be alerted to traffic jams. We could even find out where the newest McD's is, McDonald's, the closest one on the trip. And we know the menu so well. We know exactly what we want to order when we get in there. And by the way, there are sheer there. There are toilets there. There are bathrooms there to go to the bathroom in. Friends wipe all that out now and go back 2,000 or more years ago to obeying God's command, we'll read it in a moment, his command to present yourself at the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem, three times a year. In fact, let's read it now, Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17. It's not the only time this is stated in the Torah. Deuteronomy 16, verses 16 and 17 Three times a year. How many times a year? Three times. One would be dienu. It'd be enough for us. But it says three times of a year, three times a year, all your males... By the way, that doesn't mean the females couldn't go. That's the minimum requirement. All your males, and actually it was customary to take the whole family if possible. The children... Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God in the place which he chooses, which is Yerushalayim, Jerusalem, at the Beit HaMikdash, at the temple. What, three times a year? At the Feast of Matzot, Chag HaMatzot, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Hag Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, and at Hagasukot, the Feast of Tabernacles. And they shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessing of the Lord your God which he has given you. You begin as you read this passage of Scripture to see why it's customary, it's traditional, based on Scripture, to speak about those three particular areas of repentance, of prayer, and giving. The B'rit of the New Covenant, shows us First century Jewish life, when the Beit HaMikdash, the temples in existence, it shows us, for example, it points out that Yeshua and his parents went up to Jerusalem from Nazareth, from Nazareth, at least for Pesach and Hagamatzot, Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. How do we know that? Well, a certain incident happened when he was 12 years old. And Yeshua was left in Jerusalem, and his parents went three days. It says they were gathered together with other families. And Yeshua was left behind in Jerusalem. He was appearing. They, the whole family had gone from Nazareth to Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for Pesach and Hagamatzot, and also for firstfruits. All that occurred during that week and Yeshua was left behind there. His parents got, what, three days away, and then they realized he was gone. We also know that the first Jewish followers of Yeshua, also, they kept Feast of Shavuot. Acts chapter 2 says they were gathered in Jerusalem as Yeshua had told them to be. They were gathered in Jerusalem, and Acts chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, is a fascinating passage, because it begins to list all the Jewish people that had gathered from all the different places they had come, because of the Shlosh Regalim, because of the pilgrimage feast, because God had commanded, because in passages like Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 17, they presented themselves at Jerusalem, at the Beit HaMikdash, at the temple, And because they were there on Shavuot, we recall what happened in Acts chapter 2. It was like tongues of fire, mighty rush of wind. And it, it, it takes time in the text to list all the places where the Jewish people had gathered from. And if you map them out, some of the journeys to get to that point, to get to Jerusalem, they were difficult journeys indeed. It wasn't as if they were traveling through nice green forests with lots of streams and trout streams and all that stuff. No. They came through the Midbar, through the deserts of Syria. They came from the deserts of Saudi Arabia. They came from the deserts of Iran, what would be modern-day Iran and Iraq. They came from all those places, and they gathered. Some came from across the, the... across the Mediterranean Sea, they gathered. Some came from Alexandria, Egypt, some from down what we would call Cairo, and some from Yemen came, and they gathered. Acts chapter 2, it's very important that they, at that time, had obeyed what God said, and they gathered in Jerusalem. You know what was awaiting them that particular day? That Acts chapter 2 day, that Hag Shavuot, the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost, what was awaiting them at that day was a move of God which they could hardly believe. Tongues of fire, hearing, preaching in their own language. I bet you when word got back around, those that decided not to go to Jerusalem that year (laughs) said, oh, I wish I had gone. Have you ever had that happen with a trip? Oh, I wish I had gone on that trip. Sometimes it's the opposite. I wish I hadn't been on that trip. And it tells us in Yochanan in John chapter 7 that Yeshua was there at Sukkot, at the Beit Hamikdash at the temple. Friends, the early believers, the early Jewish believers were quite devout And, you know, I can say this uh, without fear of contradiction. They knew the Word of God, and not only did they know the Word of God, they endeavored to put it into practice. Aren't we going through the same thing now in our spiritual walk, learning the Word of God and instituting it in our life by the help of the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit? So, to fulfill the words of Devarim, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 16 and 7, preparation was necessary. In order to go to Jerusalem at that time, preparation was necessary. And I would suggest to you it's still necessary today. If you're preparing to go to Israel, you need to prepare, it's necessary. Uh, I'll suggest three particular areas uh, thinking back 2,000 or more years ago that it was absolutely necessary for preparation. The first one was practical stuff, practical preparation. How many of you have actually taken a trip overseas? If you have, go ahead and raise your hand. Quite a few of you have. You realize that a trip like that is you're going to another country you may not know exactly how about the language. You may not know the items readily available in that country. And I know now we have the internet, the web, and that's a good name for it, the web. Now we have the internet, we can research this and come up with that through internet searching, etc. But the practical point, there need to be practical preparation, and especially if you were traveling with a family, just think about traveling with children 2,000 years ago. If you think about that time frame, you have to throw out the van because there was no van. You know what your van was? <laughs> Probably your feet, slosh Regalim, the three pilgrim's feet, maybe a donkey, maybe, I don't know, a camel. I haven't had too much experience with them, but I think it'd be much easier to turn the key or the fob for your car and get going than to try to get that camel to move. But that was them. They had to figure this out. They had practical preparations that they needed to make for an arduous trip. And an arduous trip, it may be just 50 miles, but it's 50 miles without paved highways. 50 miles without the convenience of a convenience or 7-Eleven or an on-queue that sells about everything you could need in traveling. None of that was there. Here was the word of God saying, three times shall all your meals appear, appear before me. But there weren't instructions on how to do the preparation, the practical part about you had to figure that out with the Lord's help. And Passover, Chagamatzot, and Sukkot, they're not just one-day celebrations. They extend more than a week. So your preparation, just think about the food issues. Think about children. Think about all that. And I know I'm probably giving some of you nightmares, maybe recalling some of your arduous trips that you had with your own family. You know, the proverbial, are we there yet? You're still 600 miles away. Are we there yet? You're 580 miles away. Are we there yet? 570 miles away. Are we there yet? And for some you are so happy when they develop putting like uh, some kind of a screen in the back for the kids to watch (laughs) on the trip. Didn't have it when our kids were young. They had to prepare food. They had to consider travel time. If you're going to present yourself before the Lord, you don't want to be late. I know many have the custom to stylishly, quote, unquote, come in late. You don't want to miss the whole feast, do you? You're going all that way to show up late. It's already done with. So they had to prepare time-wise, travel time, food, clothing, and much more. They had to consider this all in, va- in advance. They had to make sure they had provisions to do it. And again, no fast food places, no public toilets, <laughs> no public transportation, no modern conveniences available. You may not even know where the next waterhole is unless you researched it out. So practically speaking, one of the three points of preparation is the practical part. It was not an easy journey. But then there's the second point of preparation, and that's the spiritual. They had to have spiritual preparations. They're going to appear before the Lord. They had to have spiritual preparation for that. They were going to appear before the Lord, the maker of heaven, and earth, the Lord who is all-powerful, the Lord who is all-knowing, the Lord who is the sovereign king of the universe, the Melech They were going to appear before him. This is not some earthly king that may be here today and gone tomorrow. This is the king of kings whose throne is forever in place, who cannot be removed from his throne, and you're appearing before him. Their hearts had to be right, otherwise they would be nothing but hypocrites, saying one thing, doing another. They had heart preparation, as it's called. They were to present themselves before the Lord as clean vessels, and by that I mean spiritually clean, clean vessels, and as servants who were set upon Upholding the master's word and his ways. Perhaps this is what's alluded to in Tehillim in Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? And then there's this response. He who has clean hands and what, say it with me, a pure heart. This is the one that can come and stand before the Lord. He who has clean hands and a pure heart. And then it continues. Who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully... He shall receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And notice what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 21. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue what? Righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So they ascended as pilgrims, as we would say in the English language, they ascended to Jerusalem, to the Beit Mikdas, to Jerusalem, to the temple. They ascended up to the holy temple to pray. Well-known author F. B. Meyer, great author, wrote a lot of biographies about biblical characters. F. B. Meyer he once said this quote: "The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but." unoffered prayer end quote how are you responded to the call of prayer in your life are you pretty skilled at putting everything in front of that so that the, the sense you have the feeling you, you have deep inside of the stirring of the ruach if I may use that term that's upon your life to, to get you to the prayer place and suddenly you put everything in front of that you block it off The greatest tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, unanswered prayer, but unoffered prayer. As they went up to Jerusalem 2,000 or more years ago to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple, it just was not appropriate for them to be consumed by anger and then to present themselves before the Holy One. Something's not quite right there. It was not appropriate for them to try to present themselves before the Lord and they were living with unforgiveness towards others. There's nothing clean about that. It's trafe, it's dirty, it's unclean. It's not kosher. They were there to pray. They were going to Jerusalem at great expense with great practical preparation and spiritual preparation. They were going there to make their requests known to the Lord. To present themselves as it were, to use the language of Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, to present themselves a korban high, a living sacrifice to the holy God of the universe. Would it work if they're full of anger and hatred and, and all these other things that was consumed, idolatry and you know, all these things, filth? Who can. Ascend into the hill of the Lord, and who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands, and what? A pure heart. They were to forgive. They were to repent, teshuvah. They were to prepare their hearts before the Lord. They just couldn't go up there and present themselves as if they, 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 they were living a, a different way than they really were. They had to get things right. That's preparation, spiritual preparation, internal preparation. John Bunyan, who's the author of the classic story Pilgrim's Progress. How many of you have read Pilgrim's Progress? Many of us have there. He once said this, and I love this quote. Quote, In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart, end quote. Let me say that again. In prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart. In other words, there's no match there with your heart and your words. Yeshua went so far as to say this in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 22. But I say to you, please listen to this. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Verse 23. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the Mizbeach, to the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. So when they arrived at the temple in ancient days... Whether it was at a pilgrimage feast or at other times, that holy temple before the holy God of Israel, their goal was to focus on the Lord and not be self-centered. Did you ever notice that about temple worship, the focus is the Lord? Sure, we prepare ourselves and we need to be clean, but when we're in that holy place, he's the focus. I pray that for this congregation, for us, that when we gathered here, we put everything aside and we focus on him, we lift our hearts and our hands, we dance before the Lord, we rejoice, we clap, we shout, we give him honor and glory. Because it's really not about us that we gather, it's all about him. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be, as the scripture says. So they gathered to worship. They gathered to praise him. They gathered, as Yeshua mentioned, to present their offering to him. And that brings us to the third and final point of preparation. They had to prepare materially. As Deuteronomy 16, verse 17 makes very clear, we've read it already, but it says, Every man shall give as he is able. According to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. So during the pilgrimage feasts, at least minimum, the amount of giving that they offered was supposed to accurately reflect the amount of blessing they had received from the Lord. If someone chose at that point during the pilgrimage feast not to give, they were saying by their lack of giving, Basically this, God has not blessed me. I receive nothing from the Lord. I have nothing to give. And of course, that is a full deception. (laughs) And that is portraying a lie concerning the character and the generosity of the Lord. Has the Lord been generous to us? Yes. Abundantly, He has blessed us. On the other hand, if someone presented themselves to the Lord during the Shlosh Regalim, one of the pilgrimage feasts, or at other times, and they gave a small amount, what they would basically be conveying is the message that they had received very little blessing from the Lord that year. It could be true. But I don't know, throughout my life, and you've probably noticed it too, when the times you've had more and times you've had less, that even the less was much. Even the less was much. Especially when you start comparing to other societies and culture where really there is great lack and poverty. So if they gave a small amount, they were conveying a message that they hadn't received. They've only received a little blessing from the Lord. The one that would give nothing was saying, I received no blessing from the Lord. Did you notice it says, every man shall give as he is able, Deuteronomy 16, 17, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, which he has given you. There's a proportionality to this. And then those who chose to give generously and sacrificially, they were saying by their giving that they had received a great blessing from the Lord. That year, God had blessed them, and they were showing their appreciation to him and giving thanks to him by returning back to him of the bounty that the Lord had given to them. It's Rav Shaul, Paul the Apostle, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He wrote this to the Corinthians. The Corinthian congregation was a mixed group we're told the story of the formation of the Corinthian community, that it was both Jews and Gentiles there. He wrote this. Some of them probably really understood. Others needed to learn more about it, but 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he said, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Verse 7, so let each one give as he purposes where? In his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. And then there's this very unique phrase here. It says, for God loves a cheerful giver. Who does God love? A cheerful giver. Someone that is generous and they're, they're glad about it. It's not like giving with, you know, a, a, a face that, you know, no one else would want to see on you like, oh, I've got to do this. So this language is very noteworthy that God loves a cheerful giver. Cheerful describes the giver, a cheerful giver. And giving is the esteemed action in the sight of, of God. By the way, is God a giver I'll quote a passage to you. Many of you know it. For God so loved the world that he... Who said it? Gave. We say the blessings over the Torah, and it says, Noten ha-Torah, who gave us the giver of the Torah, meaning his word. Over and over again, there's an abundance of God as a giver. Are you thankful today that he's given you much? Most of all, he's given us his son, Yeshua the Messiah. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. We too, we must prepare ourselves materially before the Lord. In other words, it's very important for us that we recognize as they did back then, or as they were supposed to, we recognize that everything we have is a gift from the Lord. In fact, the very breath that we breathe could be stopped at any time. If God said, Yahi yehi let there be light and there was light, suppose he said, no breath, would there be no breath? It'd go. He's that powerful. And I know it sounds like an odd illustration, but he is that powerful. He spoke the world into existence. He he created the universe by his, his, his speech, his hands, by what he does, what he says. So this Shabbat, Shabbat Shuvah, the real central point of it is not those three things that I mentioned. Those are axillary points. The central point is the Shuvah part turning to the Lord. Maybe that means turning to the Lord in a more practical way in your life. Maybe that means turning to the Lord in a more spiritual way in your life. Maybe that means turning to the Lord with the material things in your life rather than being possessed by them, that you be the one that gives unto the Lord with a willing heart. And maybe you're here today and you're struggling You're struggling in life. Turn to the Lord. This is Shabbat Shuvah. Maybe you're hurting inside over something. Turn to the Lord. He's the Lord that heals you. Maybe you're needing his help about something in your life. This is Shabbat Shuvah. Turn to the Lord. Maybe you're caught up in some type of a sin that so easily besets you and you can't seem to get free from it. Go to the Lord. He's your help. Turn to him. Don't bypass him. Go to him. Maybe you're confused or you're vexed about what's happening in your life or maybe you've you got your mind too much on what's happening in other places and politics and sports and all that stuff. Turn back to the Lord and let him be your focus, as out in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33 says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Maybe you're just anxious or worried. We all have those types of moments. I certainly have had them. What's the solution? Turn to the Lord. Maybe you're burdened, and the burden can be for others. What's the solution? Turn to the Lord in their behalf. Intercessory prayer. Maybe you're just living a worldly life. Maybe it's time to stop that. And turn to the Lord with all your might and all your heart. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he's near. He surely will respond. He'll lead you down that straight and narrow path. And I want to leave you with two passages of Scripture. Hosea chapter 6 beginning with verse 1. This is the passage that I have inscribed on my talit bag in Hebrew. Hoshea 6, Vav, 1 through 3. Come and do what? Let us return to the Lord. Maybe that's the cry for you today. Lechu, it says, Lechu, spoken in a collective voice. Come and let us return. Lechu Veneshuva. El Adonai, to the Lord. For he has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live in his sight. Verse 3, quoted in the book of Philippians. Let us know, let us press on, let us pursue the knowledge of the Lord. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain, like the yore and the malkosh, like the latter and the former rain to the earth. And lastly, Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to who? To God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. To me, this type of language reminds me of the approach to the temple and the appearing before the holy God of Israel more than 2,000 years ago when they would present themselves before him. And you know, he knew if they were being hypocrites, he knew if they were being cheapskates, he knew what they were doing. The only ones being fooled was, would be themselves. So let us... Return to the Lord. Let us press on to know Him. Will you please bow your head in prayer? Father, thank you that we can look to You in every area of our life the practical things, the spiritual matters, you know us perfectly, material issues, materialism. Lord, we present ourselves to You. Father, I lift up our whole community to you and ask that you would be with each member of this community, each person connected to this community. Lord, that we would, as it were, we would serve you with gladness. We would serve you with rejoicing. We would serve you with recognition of so great a Yeshua of salvation. And thank you for each person here. Thank you for the good year you've given us. It's been hard, but hard doesn't necessarily mean that it's not good. It's good because of your presence. Your word says, O Lord, that the nearness of God is our good. Please be near to your people, O Lord. Please be near to us. Help us to draw near to you because you said that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Thank you for this new year. Thank you for these 10 days of awe. Thank you for your moedim, your appointed times. And thank you especially for your son Yeshua, who gave his life willingly for us so that we might know newness of life. I ask these things according to his merit, Amen.
0: You've been listening to the Shabbat message from Rosh Pina Messianic Jewish Congregation in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. We would love to have you visit us. Our weekly services begin at 10:40 AM each Shabbat, and we are located at 2600 Northwest 55th Place, north of Northwest Expressway at the corner of Northland Avenue and Northwest 55th Place. We meet each Shabbat for wonderful praise and worship with dance, liturgy, teaching, food, fellowship, excellent children's programs, and Bible studies on Tuesday nights. For more information, please visit our website, www.roshpina.org. That's R-O-S-H-P-I-N-A-H dot O-R-G. You can also reach us by phone at 405-842-1967 or email us at info at roshpina.org. Thank you for spending time in the Word with us today. Shabbat Shalom and blessings in Messiah Yeshua.